Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. Okay, this week uh, I'm going to answer a question sent in by Bob. This is Coach Bob, friend of mine. And he says, I recently had shoulder replacement surgery. I was on 80 milligrams of oxycodone, eight doses a day, and 15 milligrams of morphine as needed every four hours. This is heavy duty pain medication. What's interesting is that as soon as my pain was manageable from the surgery, and more specifically, uh, when I was out of my sling four to six weeks after the surgery, I was able to completely stop the opiate pain medication, no problem. Yet today, years and years and years later, I remain highly addicted still to sugar and flour. Any comments on how I can be a 10 on the food addiction scale and a zero on the drug addiction scale? Thanks, Bob. So, yeah, great question, Bob. So your question is basically about cross-addiction. Like, if we're susceptible to one kind of addiction or addiction to one thing, are we susceptible to addiction to other things? What influences the likelihood that we'll develop those addictions? Why doesn't some amount of exposure to some kind of other potentially addictive thing lead to addiction right away if we know we have a highly susceptible brain? So, great, great set of questions. Um, all right, so here's the deal. Um, we know a lot about this. Um, addictive susceptibility is addictive susceptibility in one sense. So here's what I mean by that. If you have what we call an addictive personality, which really means that you have a brain that's highly susceptible to addiction, it creates a baseline foundation of susceptibility to any addiction. But here's what we also know, that what that really means is that your brain is more trainable to be pulled in to the cues that predict an addictive hit, the cues that predict a reward for your addictive brain, right? And once you've learned that those cues predict that hit, then you're kind of sunk, right? Whether it's the emotions or the time of day or the people that you hang out with or the whatever, whatever, right? Every set of addictive behaviors or substances has with it a whole sort of um, set of like subculture type of things that means that the hit is coming, whether it's, um, you know, that you just got your paycheck and so now you're going to go get a heroin fix or if it's that your mother-in-law just called you nasty things and now you're going to go binge on ice cream or whatever it is, right? There's always like the precursors that lead to the fix. And um, that's what an addictive brain is, is it's a brain that gets pulled in and sort of can't help itself in the face of the cues that predict the reward, the addictive hit. Now, the cues that predict the reward need to be learned. We're not born knowing what they are. We're not born knowing that a paycheck in your hand means that you can go get heroin that night. That is a set of circumstances, a set of um, cause and effect situations that has to be learned. So the brain needs to be trained up in every subdomain um, to what the set of cues is that predicts that hit, that reward. So if you're not really a gambler, you know, the sign of a you know, what do you call those things? Slot machine. It means nothing to you. Like your brain isn't trained up to that set of cues. Okay. So this is how someone with a brain like mine, certifiable, I've worked the 12 steps in no fewer than five different 12 step programs. Um, my brain is still pretty immune to shopping. 
and pretty immune to gambling. I did a little bit of gambling when I was about 20 years old. Not much though, and 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 certainly none of the like casino variety. Like casinos make me ill. You know the the ding 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 and all that, the smoke and the ugh. I just I hate them. Um, and I know that stuff is highly addictive. Like gambling is incredibly addictive. Shopping is incredibly addictive. Online shopping, one click. Mm. I don't care. I, I'm not into shopping. So my brain has never been trained up to know that the, that the set of cues associated with shopping and gambling could deliver a powerful hit on the back end if I pursued those cues. My brain's just never gone there. So I, st I remain immune so far, knock on wood, to the addictions of gambling and shopping. I've had almost all the others. So you, Bob, have never marched down the path of pill addiction. And because you were taking that medication for genuine pain relief, your brain didn't see that as an addictive hit. It just didn't. And you know what's funny is that me either, actually. I've had several surgeries, including two wicked C-sections since I've been clean and sober and off sugar and flour. And yeah, I got the Vicodin prescription and I couldn't wait to get off that stuff. And it's funny because I was a drug addict, right? But I was not an opiate pill addict. I was a white powder snorting addict and at the end smoking. But um, but really at the, at the peak, what I loved was crystal meth or cocaine and it was white, it was lines of white powder that I was smoking. So taking pills of opiates, it just, it was never really my thing. Um, so I had kind of the same experience you did, Bob. Like I wasn't into those pills. I couldn't wait to get off of them. They, oh, I just didn't like them. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? How um, addiction is sort of a domain specific thing. And until you get, your brain gets wired up to, to recognizing that 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 certain set of cues delivers an addictive hit, you you remain kind of immune. Now, here's the thing. If your brain is addicted, meaning you've got dopamine downregulation on board, meaning in the nucleus accumbens, in the pleasure centers of the brain, your dopamine receptors have been blown out through overuse, some kind of addiction, you know, to whatever. Um, and you quit that addiction. Now you're in a dopamine downregulated state. Your brain is looking for a fix. It doesn't care where it gets it. And in that state of dopamine downregulation, you are highly vulnerable to latching onto some other way to get the fix. And this is why people who give up sugar but not flour find themselves, uh, find themselves starting to eat more and more and more and more flour pretty rapidly because that flour will give the same hit, right? Um, they might not be so situated in their lives to, you know, go out and start snorting cocaine, um, but they're changing their food and all of a sudden flour becomes, it's available and they just start eating more and more and more of it. This is why people who are addicted to sugar but don't give up flour tend not to recover because suddenly their brains are demanding more flour. They don't even realize it. They don't even realize that they're suddenly eating mostly flour products in their diet, unless you point it out to them. Then they're like, oh. Um, so this is where cross addiction happens so readily, where people get sober, they go to AA and suddenly they're sucking down coffee. They start smoking, even if they didn't smoke before and they're eating, you know, sugar all the time because their brains need that dopamine fix and they're willing to get it from wherever. Um, now your brain, Bob, you, you've been doing, 
you know, essentially what we do here at Brightline Eating, no sugar, no flour, weighing and measuring your food for years. So your dopamine receptors are already healed. You were not in a state of dopamine depletion or dopamine downregulation when you had that shoulder replacement surgery. Your dopamine receptors were fine. Um, it, it doesn't take, you know, years and years and years and years for that dopamine downregulation to correct itself. It takes a much shorter period of time than that. So your brain was healed and you went into that surgery. And so you weren't at that moment especially susceptible to cross addiction. Now, if, um, you'd been under tremendous stress, like let's imagine you've been going through a divorce at that same time or, um, you know, whatever, just fill in the blank life hardships. Your mom was dying and you were going through a divorce, whatever. Um, it's possible that your brain would have started to interpret those opiates as relief, not just pain relief, but like psychic relief as some kind of hit, you know? And under those circumstances, you you would have been more vulnerable than someone who does not have an addictable brain to begin with to developing opiate addiction under those circumstances. But given your generally healthy state, um, the fact that your dopamine receptors weren't compromised and that you take really good care of yourself, you weren't under undue stress, um, you know, you got through it kind of scot-free. And because your brain had never developed any associations with all of the sort of cues, you know, the, the bottle in your, in your bag, the, the taking out, you know, opening the cap, all of those cues that predict that the reward is coming, um, you kind of skated through and your brain never, never really latched on. The same way I can go to the mall with my kids and I just don't develop shopping addiction, you know? Um, and, you know, if I went through a period of my life that was especially rough and I, I was in a circumstance where I had to order a bunch of things online from catalogs for th certain things and I started to find real comfort in it, I could develop an online shopping addiction or, a, you know, if I were on a cruise and I were going through a rough time and suddenly I was, you know, gambling in the casino, I could develop a gambling addiction. But knock on wood, um, without... Um, the development of that relationship, that that cue hit relationship, um, you can remain sort of immune to specific addictions. Cross addiction is an interesting thing. Uh, it's a great question. I get asked it all the time on coaching calls and and so forth. So I'm glad we're finally getting to talk about it in a vlog. And that's kind of the neuroscience 101 of cross addiction. Thanks for asking, Bob. And that's the weekly vlog. Thanks for spending this time with me. I'll talk to you next week.